promise was made that the land that they were looking at would eventually become theirs. But that promise hadn't yet come to pass. In fact, it had been years since that promise had been given. Some 500 years or so, give or take a few, before the land was ever going to come into their possession and that promise was going to be fulfilled. But they finally get to it. They finally get to the point to where the land is going to become theirs. They're going to see the fruition of this promise come into place right before their very eyes. But they're standing something between them. There's this giant river, this great river that they have to cross. And so the promise maker, God himself, tells them, he says, I'm going to stop the river. I'm going to stop the river and you're going to be able to cross the river on dry ground. You're going to be able to go into this land and you're going to be able to take this land for your very own. Going in front of these individuals was going to be what was called the Ark of the Covenant. This Ark of the Covenant, a representation of God, representing who God was, His personhood, His, His holiness, exactly what God represented to each of these individuals. And it was going to go before them, but it was going to lead them into this land that was very quickly going to fall into their own hands. But in verse 4 of Joshua chapter 3, I find it interesting, the command that Joshua gives to them. He says essentially this, I know we're in uncharted territory. He says, I know that we haven't been here before. I know we're going into something that you and I have never, ever had to experience. And because of that, he says, you follow God because you're going to pass through a way that you've never been before. You're going to pass through an area that you don't even know about. And yet you're quickly going to realize what's, what is there. And over the course of the past few weeks, and I suppose there may be a few left. I don't know if there are any graduations left, but... Over the course of the past few weeks, we have seen thousands, thousands of young people graduate high school. We're seeing thousands of young people who are accomplishing a great feat, who are finishing up their, their education in high school, who are, who are about to embark and step into a brand new stage, a brand new area of life. And you think about the challenges that they have faced up to this point. To think about the victories that they've won, the tears that they have cried, the laughs, all of these things that they have experienced, that they have endured in their lives that have helped shape and mold and make these young people into who that they are this very day. But they're getting ready to go into the unknown, aren't they? They're getting ready to go into a way that they have never passed before. They're getting ready to go into uncharted territory, into a land that they don't know what is out there for them. They don't know what's around the next bend or what's around the next corner. And certainly that can be frightening, can't it? It can be frightening not knowing what is there for you, not knowing what is out there in front of you. And as much as you plan, as much as you strategize, as much as you formulate what you want your life to look like, more often than not, it's not going to go quite according to plan, is it? So what do you do? What do you do as you are going through this life, as you are getting ready to embark upon a new stage of life? How do you do it? How do you enter into a way, into a land that you've never passed before? You know, when Joey and I talked about planning this year, we both decided to give it a shot at doing a graduation sermon. I know he did one last week, but I want to do with this one is I want to look at this from a little bit of a different perspective. And I want to look at four different areas of our lives where it is applicable to each of us. doesn't matter where you are in your life. doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. It doesn't matter if you're young or middle-aged or older. This certainly can be beneficial to each of us as we all look into how it is that we are supposed to live our lives. Four things that are applicable to each of us. Here's the first one. Number one is this. Plan purposefully. 
plan purposefully. How many times do you and I make plans in our lives and those plans just fall through? Probably more often than we care to admit. Probably more often the, the times than we wish. I, I know that so many times we, we try to plan what we're going to do. We try to plan our lives out the way that we want them to go. And, and we try to ensure that all of the things that we've talked about and all the things that we plan, we want those things to come to fruition because when we do that, it means that we have control, doesn't it? It means that we have control over the situation and everybody likes having control over their situation because it means they can, they, they can, they can dictate the outcome of everything it is that, that is going to happen in their life. More often than not, that doesn't happen. Go, just go back a couple of years ago. Go, go back to the year 2020, right? Everybody, what was, what was the phrase that everybody used talking about the year 2020? Go into 2020 with what? 2020 vision, right? How many people foresaw how 2020 and 2021 are going to play out? Probably not a single person. Probably not a single person. We all had plans and things we wanted to do. We all had things and goals that we wanted to attain. We all had specific lives that we wanted to live throughout this entire year. And yet because of the unforeseen circumstances, many of those things that you and I wanted to do, we were unable to do. And so it makes me wonder, it makes me think about the way that you and I plan for things in our lives. When we do plan, and certainly we must plan, because if you don't, there's just chaos. You have to have some kind of rhyme and reason the way you go about living your life. But when you do plan, how do you do it? We think about all the things that we want to do, how we want all of these things to go in a certain and in a specific way, and in a way that we think that they must go. And so many times when our plans go offline and they don't do what we want them to do, we stress out and we fall apart. In James chapter 4, he paints for us a picture of someone who makes these kinds of plans. And again, there's nothing wrong with making plans in your life, but it's how these plans are made and the way in which they are made. Notice what he says beginning in verse 13 in James chapter 4. Come now, you who say, he says, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. Notice the risk. Notice the, the peril that is involved in planning without God in mind. You see, they set for themselves all of the parameters, don't they? of every single thing that they are going to do. They, they choose the time. They choose the location, the duration, the plans, the objectives. Certainly nothing wrong with these things, but they were going about it in all of the wrong ways in that they were leaving out the most important being that there was, that being Almighty God Himself. I heard it said once this way about this particular passage, commence with prayer, construct the plan, Choose the place, chart the progress, calculate the profit, and then conclude with prayer, noticing that you begin and end with who? With Almighty God. But then think about this. Think about the foolishness. Think about the, the foolishness of a mind that plans without God in their mind. The idea that someone is able to live their life without, without the Almighty in it. And how if there is no one, if, if there is no God in someone's life, then he or she is able to live their life however he or she chooses to live it. I think about the rich man in Luke chapter 12, eat, drink, and be merry, all living while, as if there is no repercussions, no consequences, no having to respond to God and what he has done for him. But then I also think about this. You flip the coin, and I think about the wisdom that there is for someone who does plan, 
with God in mind. James, as he concludes this passage, he doesn't just say, don't do all of these things, and it doesn't tell them what they need to do, but he says, don't do these things, but then do what? Instead of foolishly planning without God like the world does around you, plan with God in mind. If the Lord wills, ultimately what God wants to happen is going to happen. And everything that we do and everything that we plan and every choice that you and I are going to make in this life, we ought to have Almighty God in mind. Paul said in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul was literally living his life with a mind that was fixated, that was focused solely upon doing all that he could for the cause of Jesus Christ. And when you look at this particular passage, the Apostle Paul is talking about how he wished he could go and be with the Lord. He wishes he could die so he didn't have to be in this world and have to face all of the things that this earth was throwing at him because he knew that if he went home, he was going to be able to go home and to be with his father. But he understood that while he was here on this earth, there were things that he could accomplish for his father while he was here. And he was fixed on living for Christ. He was ready to stay, to do everything that he could for the glory of Almighty God. Sometimes, brothers and sisters, I wonder. I wonder if we were given an opportunity. Think about this. If you were given an opportunity to leave this earth, to go home to eternity, to be with your Father, to not have to worry about this world anymore, I wonder that for New Testament Christians, I wonder how many of us would choose to stay on this earth because of fear that we would miss out on all the things that we've planned to do in our lives. I certainly hope that wouldn't be the case, but with the commitment, or at least the lack thereof, that I witnessed from so many New Testament Christians, I can't help but wonder if that would be the case. Paul said in Colossians chapter 3, beginning of verse 1, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Everything in my life is centered. It is focused around Jesus Christ. Paul said, my life is wholly revolving around my Savior and what He's done for me. I think about our young people as they are embarking upon a new stage of life, or anybody, if you are getting ready to go into a new stage of life, you make, you make plans as to all of these things that you want to do, the activities in which you want to be involved. Don't forget to purposefully plan for the most important thing in our lives, that being our home in heaven. You see, you and I have a date with our judge, don't we? 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. It's a date that we won't miss. It's a date that we won't be late for. It's a date that we're going to have to show up to. Are you ready for that date? Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ in Galatians 2 and verse 20. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. How do you go about your life? Living, planning, absolutely. But make sure you do it with Almighty God in mind. Here's number two. You and I need to try to prepare prayerfully. As we go through this life, as we embark upon new areas and new things, we need to remember to always prepare prayerfully. And I've said this before, I'll continue to say it. One of the greatest blessings that you and I have as New Testament Christians is the ability to pray to our Father. The, the fact that God has allowed a direct line of communication between us as His creation and Him as the Creator is one of the greatest blessings that He has ever given us. Our high, our holy, magnificent, and awesome God 
allowing us to talk to him, to take our appeals and our wants and our wishes, our burdens, to throw them at his feet. It is simply unfathomable to think about. And yet, unfortunately, when we look at the idea of prayer, so many times prayer is something that is misused and it is so often abused. I think about our lives today when when the sun is shining, when the birds are chirping, everything seems to be going so well. For, For us as adults, when our marriages and our jobs are going well, we're doing all that we need to be doing. Do you still communicate with Almighty God? Do you still talk to God and do you still thank God for all of the good things that are going on in your life. We so often fail to thank him for everything that God has given us, and we just simply go to the enjoyment part of all the things that he has given us. But when those blue skies turn gray, when it starts to rain, thunder and lightning in our lives, and you and I have nowhere else to go, so oftentimes that's the only time we point our eyes towards heaven and we talk to the Father. You see, it's such a wrong picture, isn't it? It's so opposite of what it should be. And yet it's one that so many times accurately depicts our prayer life. Why is it that we forget about the one, James chapter 1 and verse 17, who gives us all good and perfect things, the one that allows us to have all of these good opportunities, the one who gives us all of these spiritual blessings and benefits while being in him, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. Why is it that he is the one that so many times we block out of our lives? And until something bad happens and we can't go any lower than the ground, we turn and look to the Father. You see, when we talk about prayer, prayer must precede anything and everything in our lives. In fact, when Paul was talking to Timothy, he wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, Therefore I exhort first of all that all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Paul didn't say, oh, wait, before I forget. Paul didn't say, oh, oh, in case, in case you haven't remembered this, I'll throw this in here before, before we move on. No, he says, I exhort first. I exhort first. First the petitions. First the requests. First the prayers. First I talk to God and communicate with him through prayer. You see, before anything and everything, prayer must commence. You think about starting a new, a new portion in your life. As you, as you walk into a new area of life, you pray to Almighty God. As you go through this journey, you pray to Almighty God. When you come out on the other side of the journey, you pray to Almighty God. When you are successful, when you have failed, when you are seeing the blessings of God, when you're tired and when you're hurting, when you're down, you pray to Almighty God. And don't just pray as if you are just taking your requests and just throwing them out into the unknown, hoping that maybe they'll land where you want them to, hoping that maybe you'll hit the mark when you pray. But when you pray, do so with great confidence. Again, think about who it is that you and I are able to communicate with. That being our creator in heaven, Jesus said in Mark chapter 11 and verse 24, Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you will receive them and that you will have them. Jesus said, have faith when you pray. Be bold, have confidence when you pray. John said in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 14, Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Young people living the right kind of life, setting the right kind of goals in your mind certainly allows yourself to have prayers that will be heard. Answered prayers, always, always answered prayers. Answered in the way that you want them to be answered. No, not always. But God will always answer you and give you exactly what it is you need. God has communicated with us through his word. 
What a blessing it is, something that we must not take for granted. His communication to us through his word is something that we need to be diving into every single day. But not only that, God has allowed us a way of communicating back to him. You can't overuse prayer, can you? You can't pray too many times. You can't say too many things in a prayer. You, can, you, you can't even, it's, it's okay to even go into prayer and not even know what to say in prayer. But brothers and sisters, you better believe you can underuse prayer. And you can even abuse prayer and use it in such a way to where God won't even hear your prayers. As you go through life, prepare yourself prayerfully. Here's number three. You and I need to be able to proceed through this life positively. Proceed positively. Our attitudes, brothers and sisters, have everything to do with our outlook on life. The way that we view life and the way that we see and perceive things has everything to do with our attitudes. You see, the right attitude, it's simply priceless to have, isn't it? As you and I walk through this life, whether it be secularly or even spiritually, having a positive attitude is a unifier. It's an edifier when it comes to building up the people who are around you. Leo Buscalia was an, is an author and a motivational speaker, and notice what he said. He said this. He said, why isn't the world a better place? He said, it will only be time wasted. The question to ask is this, how can I make it better? And to that, there is an answer. It's easy, isn't it? It's easy for us to look around at our world. It's easy for us to, to, to think, why is this world so bad? Why is there so much evil in our world? Why is there so much discouragement and depression and demoralization? Why are all of these people doing this or doing that or doing all the things that they don't need to be doing? And rightfully so, our world is full of evil and wicked and terrible people. But until, brothers and sisters, you and I are able to look within ourselves to check our own attitudes, and certainly we can become a part of the problem. Until I understand that I can certainly become a part of the solution with my own attitude and my own life, that I'm responsible for me, for myself, and for I, for my own attitude, that I have to have the right mindset, then I just might be able to help the problem. Here's something that we have to understand. Positive Christianity is a result of an I can kind of attitude. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13, Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. A verse we all know so well, even our secular world knows it, but do they really understand what Paul's talking about in this particular context? What is he talking about? Back up a couple of verses. He's, Paul is talking about how he, as an individual, is able to be content, how he's able to survive, able to do all of the things that he needs to do regardless of whatever situation it is in which he finds himself. If he's hungry, if he's thirsty, if he's in need, none of those things matter. Because he says, if I'm going to be faithful, I'm going to do all that God has commanded me to do. God's going to take care of me. Regardless of what hand I might be dealt, I can accomplish what God wants me to, to accomplish because my trust is in him. But sometimes along the way, sometimes along the way, as we go through this life, we encounter something called criticism. Now, I know sometimes in life we need criticism, don't we? Probably more often than not, maybe we need criticism. And when it comes to criticism and it comes to the way that we look at it, criticism can sometimes be a little bit of a bubble buster, can it? Uh, hey, maybe it can, what we say, rain in our parade as we're going through life and somebody criticizes us for what we're doing. Sometimes we allow that to dampen our attitude. Sir John Simon was an English, English pathologist, and he said, to escape criticism, merely say nothing, do nothing, and be nothing. And then, of course, you know this one. For every action, there is an equal and opposite criticism. 
You know, as you and I go through life, especially as we journey into a new portion of life or a new stage of life, you already have, but you're going to continue receiving criticism, aren't you? You're going to continue receiving criticism for the things that you're doing. And in fact, if it were possible to please every single person and not receive any criticism, we wouldn't be pleasing to Jesus. What did Jesus say in Luke chapter 6 and verse 26? Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for so do the fathers to the prophets. We can't please everyone, so what's the point? We're going to receive criticism, so how do we handle it? What do we do when the criticism comes into our lives? How do we deal with it while maintaining a positive attitude? Three things I want you to think about very quickly. Number one is this. Don't allow criticism to make you give up that which is good in your life. There's a quote that I came across this week. It said, if you want to lead the orchestra, you have to turn your back to the audience. Okay? Think about this, think about this from, from a secular point of view. Think about all of the pioneers who have gone before us and who have invented things that you and I use on a daily basis. Think about all these things that people have done. Think about the horse and buggy, how it passed the modern day car as if the car were standing still and people laughed at the people who invented the modern day car. Think about the electric light bulb, how it was so dim people had to use a gas lamp in order to see it at first. And guess what? People laughed. The first airplane, it came down after only being in the air for 59 seconds and people laughed at them. Here's the point. Sometimes you and I can focus so much on the criticism in our lives, some good, some bad, but we can focus on it so much, but we can allow it to shift our attention from the work that it is that you and I need to be about doing. We can allow ourselves to become so critic-centered and lose sight of our goal, Philippians 3 and verse 13. Uh, the, the Proverbs writer said in Proverbs 26 and verse 4, don't answer a fool according to his folly, lest you also be like him. Some people criticize for the wrong reasons, and those are the people that we should cut out. Wayne Jackson, a, a great author of, of many good books, he said this. He said, the train doesn't slow down when a stray dog barks at it. You can't afford, can you, to spend all day long focusing on every single critic that is out there on every single critic that is saying something to you because certainly it will be time wasted. Focus on your goal at hand and don't lose sight of it. Now, I say all of that to also say this. When you do receive the criticism, think about what is being said and see it as an opportunity for growth. Solomon had a lot to say about this. He said in Proverbs chapter 8 and verse 33, hear instruction and be wise and do not disdain it. Proverbs 15 and verse 32, he who disdains instruction despises his own soul, but he who heeds rebuke gets understanding. Proverbs 27 and verse 6, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Faithful friends are few, but he, here's the point uh, uh, that I'm trying to make. If you and I need to make a change in our lives, don't let the fact that a critic pointed it out hinder you from making the change that you need to make. No one is perfect. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. Thus, every single one of us can benefit from criticism, can't we? We can all grow from criticism. We can better ourselves. Sometimes you and I can be so stubborn in our lives. We can be so thick-headed sometimes that just because someone criticizes us, even if they're right and even if we're in the wrong, we're not going to listen to it. We're not going to implement it into our lives. Someone once said this, most of the unfortunate things that happened in my life happened because of one person, me. We all have the free will to make choices, don't we? But just because we have freedom concerning those choices doesn't mean that we have the freedom to escape the consequences of the choices that we make in this life. When we look at the Lord's church and our brothers and sisters, the criticism that they offer us, 
99.9% of the time is simply done out of a love for our souls. But then number three, when you have this criticism, it takes humility, doesn't it? It takes humility in order to look at this and to implement it in the right way. Have you ever thought about how hard it is to offend a humble person? You thought about that before? How hard it is to offend a humble person. Jeremiah 9 and verse 23, thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches. I must never, ever be afraid to admit or, or too prideful to admit that I was wrong and that I need to improve in my life. Humility is required in order for growth to take, to take place in our lives. If I want to maintain a positive attitude, I have to understand this criticism is going to come. But the way that I choose to look at it, the way that I, what I choose to do with it certainly is up to me and on my own mind. Here's number four, the last one for this morning. I have to be willing to pursue persistently. I have to be willing to pursue persistently. It's been said before that anything worth doing is worth doing not only right, but with all of your might. Paul said in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 23, whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 10, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, for there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave you are going. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, you know this passage well. The Hebrews writer said, therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is said before us, verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The idea of persistence, that whatever task is before me, whatever job is before me, whatever assignment is required of me, whatever has been called of me to do, wherever it is that I go, I'm going to do it with everything that I've got. I'm going to be persistent. I'm going to be diligent in the way that I carry out my life, not only secularly, but more importantly, spiritually. Here's how I do it. Philippians chapter 2, beginning of verse 5, the Apostle Paul is talking about Jesus Christ, and he said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Paul is summing up all of these things, and essentially he says this, if I'm going to be successful in this way, I must have the mind of Jesus Christ. And in this particular context, he's talking about Christ willing to submit himself to God, to come to this earth, to pass through a way that Christ even himself had never been through before. And yet because of his own submission and his willingness to be obedient to God his Father, he was able to do that which was required of him. Young people, you've never passed through this way before. Adults, maybe you're going through a new journey in your life, and maybe you've never passed through it before. You don't know what's coming. You don't know what is around the next bend. You don't know what to expect. You need help and you need guidance. You see, if you and I want to be successful, then we must cling ever so closely to the Bible and to the author of it if we want to be pleasing and successful in this life. I want you to go to Ecclesiastes chapter 12 as we close out this morning. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. And I want to look at a passage here that Solomon's writing. When you think about Solomon, the author, Solomon was a very troubled man, wasn't he? Solomon, despite all of his wisdom, Despite all of the things that God had blessed him with, his, his, his wealth, all, all of the things that he, able, that he was able to have in his life, he still struggled in so many different areas. He still struggled in so many different ways. And in fact, when you look at the beginning of the book of Ecclesiastes, he talks about all the things that he had and what does he call it? Vain. He says it's all worthless. 
Uh, there's no purpose in any of it. Uh, it doesn't help you in this life. In fact, as he continues through the book of Ecclesiastes, he showcases that very thought. And he sums it all up by getting to the end of the book. Uh, in, in chapter 12, you look there, and what does he talk about? He talks about man and how his whole purpose is to do what? Is to fear God and to keep his commandments. But before he gets to that, I want you to notice what he says, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 12. Remember now your creator in the days of your youth, before the difficult days come and the years draw near when you say, I have no pleasure in them. While the sun and the light, the moon and the stars are not darkened, and the clouds do not return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men bow down, when the grinders cease because they are few and those who look through the windows grow dim, when the doors are shut and the streets and the sound of grinding is low, when one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of music are brought low. Also they are afraid of height and of tares in the way. When the almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper is a burden and desire fails. For man goes to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets. Remember your creator before the silver cord is loosed or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher shattered of the fountain or the wheel broken at the well. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was and the spirit will return to God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. All is vanity. Solomon is talking about the aging process, isn't he? He's talking about someone who once was young, who is, who is having to endure old age and all of the difficulties that are going to come when someone gets to that point. But what does he begin it and end it with saying, remember your creator in the days of your youth. Because as you go through life and as you endure, as you struggle, as you have to go through everything that this world throws at you, remembering God will allow you to be successful in this life. Maybe not secularly but most importantly, spiritually speaking. Maybe you're here this morning, perhaps you are going through a difficult time. Maybe you're getting ready to journey into uncharted territory, uncharted waters, and you don't know what's before you. Remember that if you trust in God, you place your faith in Him, God's going to take care of you. Perhaps you're here this morning and maybe you're not yet a part of the body of Christ. That certainly is a new journey for you, isn't it? Certainly that is uncharted territory for you, but you also know of the benefits and the blessings that you'll reap by being a part of the body of Christ. Maybe you've heard the word, you believe it, you're repenting, confessing Christ's precious name. You want to put Christ on in baptism. Know that we can do that this morning. We can baptize you into water. That water, a representation of Jesus' shed blood on the cross of Calvary washing away your sins, and you can go on your way rejoicing. Or maybe you're here this morning, perhaps as a Christian, but maybe your life's not right. Maybe your focus has been elsewhere. Maybe your priorities have been mixed up, and you want to come back to Christ. You want to repent of the things that you have done, and want you to give your life back over to God. Know that you can do those things this morning. If you have a need this morning, won't you come? It's together we stand and as we sing. Thank you for listening to this recorded audio of a sermon that was preached at the Roanoke Church of Christ. If you'd like to visit us, you can do so at 608 Dallas Drive, Roanoke, Texas, 76262, or you can visit our website at roanokechurchofchrist.org. We hope to see you soon, and may God bless you.